Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. My God, you are looking good. I swear to God, you look better and better every time I see you here, my friend. Welcome in again to another edition of the Stream Police Podcast. I am Clint Davis. I talk movies and television every month on this humble little program from which I bring you my part uh, in a from a closet in Columbus, Ohio. In just a little bit, we'll be tossing it up to Cleveland, up by the lake where my friend and yours, Andy Sedlak, will be giving us his takes on music here on this show where we look at everything streaming in the media right now. And, uh, man, I feel like a lot's happened since the last time we spoke. I've been sick for the last couple weeks, so this one's coming at you a little more tardy than I usually like it. Not the vid, not the vid. All right, don't sweat that. I got sick from my son. If you know toddlers, they're like germ factories. That is 100% true. And, uh, man, it has just been, it's taken me forever to get over this. Just hacking up a lung constantly. So I didn't come, uh, want to come into the closet and do the show until I was ready to go. But I'll probably be letting the stogie uh, just, just sit here next to me uh, this time. I don't think I'll be lighting it up. So I, I hate to disappoint you. I know it's a staple of the program, lighting my stogie in my closet. But, this week, I guess we're gonna uh, give the we're we're gonna give the stick a break, okay? But anyway, I want to remind you, as always, check out Overdue Review at YouTube. That's my YouTube channel. Find me on TikTok and on Instagram at Mr. Clint Davis, and Andy is on Instagram at Andy Sedlak. He's not gotten into TikTok yet. I don't know if he will. I don't know if that's really his scene, but it is my scene now. I enjoy it. It's 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 a good time on there, and uh, I I just. Since the last time we spoke, man, I I got back from a, a trip to California, my first time out there. Uh, but I am sad to say that the only Hollywood action I saw was uh, a car commercial being shot on a closed street in La Jolla as I ate breakfast. So there's that. Uh, we weren't in L.A., so uh, I guess maybe that explains that. More like San Diego to Anaheim, down there, down south, even more south than than uh, L.A. and Southern California. So, but yeah, we did. We saw a, a car commercial. I can't even remember what kind of car it was, but some kind of SUV, you know, and they were doing like the driving up the closed street and had the camera and all these different crazy angles and they kept running it back and doing it again. And, you know, so there you go. That was my big Hollywood action I got to see when I was out in California. But uh, 
loved the weather, had a great time, went to Disneyland, did all that stuff. Um, it was a blast. First time being on a plane since the pandemic. That was weird to say the least. Um, but, uh, I, I didn't feel as, as unsafe as I thought that I would. I think, I guess, yeah, I just had, you have too many other things on your mind when it comes to taking a trip, especially when you're traveling with a three-year-old who has never flown, um, that there, there are a lot more things to worry about at that time than thinking about myself getting COVID. So, Anyway, it ended up being a great trip. So there was that. Uh, I got a mohawk since the last time we talked, so I got that going on on top of my head. Um, also, <laughs> getting older is weird, man. You just you make strange decisions, I guess. I don't know. You just stop really giving as much of a fuck when it happens because I just had my birthday since the last time we talked too, so there's that also. Um, but it, also, we've now lost... Um, women across the United States have lost the uh, fundamental right that they've had, most of them for their entire lives, um, to be able to get an abortion. And real quick, before we get into the meat of the show, I did want to mention, since we are a show that celebrates you know, uh, uh, media, and I talk about movies especially on this show, I wanted to mention two movies real quick that I think now have a life that is even more vital than it was before when Roe v. Wade was still on the books. And it's two movies involving abortion in different ways that I really think are powerful pieces of cinema. First off, from 2004, Vera Drake, and I do think it's funny that neither of these movies is American, um... But anyway, Vera Drake, 2004, this was a a British movie by the great Mike Lee, one of the great British directors ever, one of my favorite directors ever. I mean, the guy just doesn't do anything but but movies that I personally love because it's all about the acting. It's all about the realism. His movies always feel like documentaries. You get to know the characters so intimately. And Vera Drake stars Imelda Staunton, who you might remember as playing, uh, I'm forgetting her name now, but the lady from the Harry Potter movie, she always wore pink and she came in and like came over his head, came in and took over as headmaster of Hogwarts. And she was so nasty. She was so nasty in that movie. But in Vera Drake, she is like the, just, she has a heart of pure gold. And she's just this kind of kindly older woman in 1950. England, who happens to perform abortions at a time when this was illegal to do. And um, she has performed them for years and years for free for women who need them. Um, And she puts the way she puts it is that she's helping these women. And this movie is remarkable because it takes on such a charged topic, but it does it in a way that is completely not political, if, if it can be. Um, so it, it completely avoids like lecture territory, which is so such a fine line to walk, but this movie is really just all about the characters, but it is also, um, you know, all about how at the end of the day, this is a human rights thing. Um, and, uh, Vera Drake's family kind of falls apart at the seams because of this double life that she's leading that uh, nobody else in the, in the family knows about until she gets in trouble for doing it. But it's a, it's a phenomenal movie. Uh, and again, it came out in 2004 and has kind of flown under the radar since then, but I think it, it takes on more relevance now. Anyway, uh, Vera Drake, it's on Hoopla right now streaming. If you're looking for it, you can also rent it on uh, Apple movies for like three bucks. And just, I'm telling you, it's an acting powerhouse. So if you like naturalistic acting, 
check it out because it is it is it's going to blow you away. I mean, you feel like these actors really are the characters. You completely forget you're watching actors. It's it's that good. Uh, also, I want to point you toward a movie that came out of Romania in 2007. And if I had to tell anybody like the drama that I think sums up why abortion is such a fundamental right for women to be able to get in in you know modern society in any society uh it would be this movie 4 months 3 weeks and 2 days is what the film is called and this is takes place in Romania at the kind of end of the Soviet era uh abortions completely illegal at that point so it follows a young woman who is trying to get an illegal backdoor abortion and uh, the trials that she goes through in trying to do that. And it really plays out like a thriller. I mean, it's like this is the mission. It's almost like a spy movie. And instead of like trying to bring down some government or, you know, crack a case and, and, and kill these bad guys who are trying to destroy the world, it's just a woman trying to get an abortion. And it shows like how much cloak and dagger has to go into getting a procedure like this when you're in a society that you know, completely hates women first off and completely hates women who are, who want to, uh, get an abortion and we'll stop at nothing to keep them from doing that. So it's a, it's a harrowing movie, but I just think it's one of those movies that takes on even more importance. Now it was always a great movie, but it's even better now. So four months, three weeks and two days it's uh, on canopy. You can stream it for free. If you have a library card, it's on the criterion channel. It's also on AMC plus, if you've got a subscription to that. So check both of those out. Vera Drake and four months, three weeks, and two days now, which have just become even more vital movies, I think, in the last few days. All right, let's roll on. Let's get to uh, what I always like to do at the beginning of this little show, which is to take a look back at the history of television show theme songs and pick out what I think is the greatest one of all time for this week. It's our 75th entry into the canon of the greatest TV show theme songs ever. And for this one, you know, last month I went back to 1987 for the greatest TV show theme song. And for the first time ever, I'm actually going to stay in the same year for back-to-back months. I've never done that. Usually I try to bounce around. Like if I do an 80s theme, I want to go to a different decade. Like I'll do one from the 60s, and then I'll do one from the 2000s, the 2010s, the 90s, whatever. I don't want to stay in the same decade, let alone the same freaking year, usually on back-to-back episodes. But I'm going to break my own rule this time by staying in 1987. This will actually be, I looked back through all the ones that I've done in this segment over the years and this is going to be our fifth pick for the greatest tv show theme song of all time from the year 1987 in the history of this segment the others in case you're keeping score were unsolved mysteries the bold and the beautiful married with children and full house which was the one i did last month i think it's a a tough fight as to what the best tv theme song of just the year 1987 was but the one i'm about to throw at you makes a strong case and frankly I'm surprised that I haven't used it yet in this segment because it's always been just a phenomenal TV show theme song and it's one of those that people still remember the words to all these years later let's go back to the debut of a cartoon that ran for just 100 episodes 
but they were full of adventure, laughs, greed, and daring do. It was Disney's DuckTales. DuckTales aired in syndication from 1987 to 1990, and it was eventually aired as part of the block of programming that was called The Disney Afternoon. And you probably remember The Disney Afternoon. Many older millennials and younger Gen Xers are definitely going to remember this. The block um, also included shows like Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers, Darkwing Duck, Goof Troop, and my personal favorite from back then, Tailspin. I was a tailspin nut when I was a kid. Um, DuckTales was one of the oldest shows in that block, and I think it definitely set the tone for most of those others that would come uh, in the Disney afternoon block. DuckTales followed the adventures of Scrooge McDuck, who was the rich Scottish uncle of Donald Duck. I don't understand, like, why he's Scottish. I, I don't know. I mean, keeping the family relations up is is kind of tricky. But anyway, he's the rich uncle of Donald Duck, and it followed Scrooge and his grandnephews, Huey, Dewey, and Louie, who were Donald Duck's, not his kids, they're Donald Duck's nephews also. Um, and the four of them were always jetting around trying to get more treasure or protect Scrooge's gold from villains who you might remember like Flint Heart Glomgold, Magicka Dispel. How about that name for villain? Magicka Dispel. Cool stuff. And it had a little bit, the thing that was really cool about DuckTales, it was like a kind of blend of James Bond meets Indiana Jones. That was the vibe, but it was all starring ducks. What I think is so funny when looking back on a show like DuckTales is that basically this was a show that was all about loving money and doing all that you can to get more money and keep the money that you have. Like that was legitimately the entire premise of this children's cartoon. That was what it, like every storyline revolved around. Getting more money, protecting Scrooge's money. This was Reagan America. Right in 1987. This is kind of at its height. It This show debuted three months before Oliver Stone's movie Wall Street hit theaters. So that should tell you something about kind of where media was at that point. I mean, you know, this was right before greed is good becomes kind of a catchphrase and an ironic catchphrase for people who missed the entire point of that movie. Um, but it's, it's just like one of those things that could only have come out of 1980s America. But... Boy, let me tell you, this theme song kicks ass. This iconic earworm was written by a guy named Mark Mueller, who had a little success in songwriting. He wrote a couple pop songs that actually hit number one on the Hot 100, which is phenomenal. I mean, anybody who's had multiple number one hits on the Hot 100, I mean, there aren't many people on that list in the history of music. Uh, the two that he wrote that were number ones were That's What Love Is For by Amy Grant 
And the one that I think you'll definitely remember is Crush by Jennifer Page. If you live through the late 1990s, you're definitely going to know Crush by Jennifer Page. And, you know, I'll forgive you if you're going to pause the show for a moment to go look that up for a second and just hear Crush. But as soon as you hear the, the chorus, you're going to remember the song. But uh, Mark Mueller also is a two-time Emmy nominee for his work on doing music for television shows. But somehow, neither of those Emmy nominations came for the DuckTales theme, which is a complete joke if you ask me. DuckTales ran for a nice round 100 episodes. I mean, think about that. How nice is that? 100 episodes even for this show before it ended in 1990, the same year that they, uh, Disney put out a theatrical movie called uh, DuckTales Treasure of the Lost Lamp, and also before the show was rebooted in 2017. But the original 1987 theme song by Mark Mueller, and by the way, sung by Jess P- Jeff Paschetto. I don't want to forget about Jeff Paschetto because he did a a great piece of work here, or is it Jeff Pachetto? I don't want to mess that up. Anyway, he deserves respect for singing this song. This is our pick for the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. DuckTales. Iconic. I have a DuckTales t-shirt that I wear regularly. I mean, it's just one of those shows that... For whatever reason, I mean, as goofy as it was, as really inconsequential as it was to our discourse, to uh, the state of our pop culture landscape, uh, it really holds a, a warm place in a lot of our hearts, I think. And it wasn't even my favorite, like I said, of the Disney afternoon. I was a big Tailspin guy. I loved Tailspin for some reason. I, I just thought that show was great. I, I think Darkwing Duck was I probably liked it even better than DuckTales also. But uh, DuckTales was phenomenal. I mean, it was always fun to watch. And the video game was great, too. Anybody who played that on the uh, NES, I remember having my mom rent it for me from the video store in in Middletown when we lived there when I was a kid. And uh, it was, I could, like, never get past the first couple levels. But it was a lot of fun. Cool game. But anyway, I kind of had two reasons for bringing up the DuckTales theme as the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. First off, it kicks ass and deserves to be on there. But second, also, because of what I wanted to talk about next, which involves Mark Mueller, who wrote the theme song for DuckTales. I wanted to say that Mark Mueller also wrote the theme song for Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers, which leads me to talking about the movie Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers that is now streaming on Disney+. When I think back to where this all started, me finding Dale sitting all alone in the cafeteria, so sad. Well, I wasn't that sad. (laughs) (laughs) But never in my wildest dreams did I think we'd be here now. So to you, Dale, my best friend, and to all of you. And to everyone who loves a short toast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. To many more seasons of the Rescue Rangers, cheers! Over here, get together! Everybody die! We were living the dream, high on the hog, all night long dancing the Roger Rabbit with Roger Rabbit. Boy, what an honor. 
This film just hit the service a few weeks ago from when I'm recording this. And we just kind of sat down on a whim one night, like on on Friday nights. Um, Beth and I and our son Emerson, we sit down and, and like we have gotten away from it kind of in the last couple of months because Emerson hasn't really wanted to watch movies as much. But we usually like to watch a movie on Friday nights. And um, we got back to it and we opened up Disney Plus because that's pretty much our go to when it's like, you know, what are we going to watch on Friday night? Um, Disney plus just has such a great selection of movies that Emerson's going to be into and, uh, that, you know, Beth and I love, and, you know, we can all watch together. And we saw Chippendale rescue Rangers on there. And I was like, I had heard a little bit about it, but we, Beth and I both liked the show from when we were kids. Um, it was like, you know, Emerson will probably think this is cool. So we watched the trailer for it and he thought it was fun and, and he said he wanted to watch it. So anyway, we watched Chippendale rescue Rangers and this is a, like I don't even know what you want to call it. It's a sequel to the series, but it's a fourth wall kind of breaking, um, very meta uh, sequel to that series, which was you know a pretty straightforward just kids animated adventure series. There wasn't a whole lot of fancy shit going on on Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers. There wasn't a whole lot of winking and commentary on cartoons and the business of entertainment. But Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers the movie is full of commentaries on exactly that. The entertainment business on, you know, how companies use their uh, their copyrighted characters and misuse their copyrighted characters and, you know, forms of anime. This movie is, is totally a love letter to nerddom, uh, like, of animation. Like, if you are someone who really does love cartoons and loves animation and loves the differences in animation styles and just, you know, loves kind of what makes comedy work. I think you're going to really dig this movie. Honestly, Chippendale Rescue Rangers had no business being as good as it was. I expected something that was just going to be a little distraction, a little funny. And it was that, but it really was like something I totally enjoyed from end to end. I mean, I didn't have anything really bad to say about this movie at all. I thought the storyline was engaging. It had a pretty solid mystery. It was It's basically a detective film, just like the show always was. And it sees Chip and Dale reuniting years, decades after their TV show ended. So it takes place in a universe where Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers was like a show that starred these two chipmunk actors, Chip and Dale, and they were really friends, but then they had a falling out after the and the, then the series ended, and they never spoke to each other for all these years later. And so what has happened is they've drifted apart, um, you know. And Chip has just kind of gone on to have a regular job. He's selling insurance, uh, and he looks the same as he did in the show. So he's a two D animated chipmunk, whereas Dale has gone on to. Uh, get this surgery that made him into a 3d animated character is how they sell it. And, um, you know, I mean, it makes him sound shallow and it's like, he's trying to, uh, continue his 15 minutes of fame basically. And it's all kind of sad really. Uh, but you know, he's still desperate to be famous and be part of the entertainment industry. He's, you know, he goes to fan cons and stuff like that, signs autographs. And of course everybody wants to know where chip is, but, He's nowhere to be found. He's not part of this world anymore. So, what's been up with you? Oh, you know, this, that, other vague things to fill the space of this conversation. Okay, 
Well, you look the same. Yeah, thanks. And you look different. Ah, hey, it's no secret I had the CGI surgery done, and it's done wonders rejuvenating my career. I'm actually starring in a play tonight. But man, I tell you, the real hot ticket is Rescue Rangers. There's even some buzz about a reboot. Someone started a Facebook fan page for it and everything. Crikey, a Facebook fan page? But don't just give those away. Oh, he's full of it, Monty. No one's talking about a Rescue Rangers reboot except for him. What? The fans are hungry for it. Look, I came here to help Monty, not get caught up in some Hollywood nonsense. So, great to take this skip down memory lane, but I've gotta go. Monty, if you're really in trouble, you know how to find me. Dale, you were also here. Something, you know, brings them together, and it's the disappearance of their old friend Monterey Jack, you know, the Australian big rat from the show that they uh, worked with uh, in their detective agency. And uh, so they're trying to find out what happened to him and all these other like, you know, famous animated characters have been disappearing as well for what is a pretty funny reason in the movie. But there's characters from all kinds of universes, all kinds of, of different movies and why I think Chippendale Rescue Rangers works. Whereas a similar kind of movie like Space Jam, uh, A New Legacy did not work. And I ripped that movie apart. Um, uh, several episodes ago if you want to go back and check my thoughts out on the new Space Jam movie. The reason I think this works and that one didn't was because this one doesn't just focus on Disney-owned IPs. So it brings in things owned by all kinds of different companies. It doesn't. It's not just a, like, a way to whore out Disney-owned like, IPs products and get you to think about them and drum up nostalgia for those. It sh definitely does that, but it also gets you thinking about things that Disney has no ownership over um, and gets you just thinking about other things from your childhood that are not related to Disney whatsoever. So it feels more, the whole universe feels more real. It doesn't feel like they're just trying to sell you something. It doesn't feel so corporate and soulless. This movie actually feels like it has tons of heart in it and it feels like it was done by people who really do respect Chippendale Rescue Rangers, the series, and want to protect its legacy and value that. Uh, so whereas this, this new Space Jam movie to me did not feel like it was done by people who valued the Looney Tunes or who valued the original Space Jam even, it just felt like it was done by people who valued making money by showing all these things that... Uh, you know, are owned by Warner Brothers was basically what it all it was. And so that's where that movie just fell flat complete. Also, you know, LeBron James just is not a good actor um, as far as being a lead goes. I mean, he was fine. He was I think he was good in Trainwreck. And I think he is a charming guy for sure. But I don't think he can carry a movie. Um, especially one that just was as wooden as that one was. But Chippendale Rescue Rangers is an animated movie, obviously, and the voices, uh, the voice work here is done uh, by John Mulaney and uh, Andy Samberg. So it's got a you know a lot more kind of real comedic actor muscle behind it, um, and it, it just came off. It was just really well done, really funny. Like I said, just way better than it needed to be. I'm not saying like this movie's going to change your life or anything, but as a piece of entertainment produced for a streaming company, uh, it was way better than I ever expected it to be. I mean, this could have been a theatrical movie 
And I think it would have worked just as well. I don't think anyone would have been disappointed going to a movie theater and having paid uh, just to see this on the big screen. And the movie looks great, too, because they're able to use so many different animation styles in jest and in referencing so many different types of animation styles. I thought it was really sophisticated the way that the movie was made. And whether you're talking about claymation or you're talking about, you know, traditional 2D hand animated stuff or you're talking about computer animated stuff, it's all kind of done and it all lives together. And there's live action elements as well because it all takes place in a live action world. Uh, I thought the filmmaking was really sophisticated and the movie looked fantastic. So I'm here I am. I'm sitting here giving you a, a big recommendation to stream Chippendale Rescue Rangers, the movie, now on Disney+. Plus Because like I said, this movie just had no business being as good as it was. But it's it's one of the best things I've watched on Disney+. Plus Easily. I mean, by far. So I, I don't know if I'm saying like I think they need to do another one. Because I don't really think they do. Because that's where you get in trouble. You know, I mean, doing doing one that really surprised everyone is really cool. But then when you try to do it again, it's it's I mean, there's no reason to do this again. Like it was just fun how it worked out. And I think the way the story having these two characters be split apart and having it be kind of such a dramatic falling out and then having them go out and and have to solve a case. It almost felt like 48 hours a little bit, but with chipmunks, it was cool. This is my fault. I shouldn't have left. Well, it eats me up inside to have to tell you this, but if he's been taken by the Valley Gang, I doubt we can help you. We've been trying for years to track those sleaze bags. A fellow named Sweet Pete runs the whole operation, and he's always one step ahead of us. What? So that's it? I, I thought the cops were supposed to serve and protect, not give up and move on. Hey, I'd give anything to make a case against those scum. Sweet Pete's got his fingers in every illegal business from bootlegging to stinky cheese getting rich while we look like we just fell off the turnip truck. All done, sir. Oh, you scared the beans out of me, Steckler. Sorry, sir. I searched the perimeter. No clues. Yeah, of course not. Why would there be? Six missing tunes in a month and not one clue. Well, maybe we should check in with the neighbors, see if anyone saw anything. Oh, yeah. You think? Why don't you just leave the real detective work to me, okay? <laughs> right. Sorry, sir. Eesh. Chief, the press are outside waiting for a statement. Do I have anything on my back? Yes, sir. It looks like a Monopoly game piece and Officer O'Hara. Officer, what the? Uh, just want one day where my shirt stays clean. Okay, pack it up, boys. Let's go. Definitely the best buddy cop thing I've seen uh, in a long time. So check out Chippendale Rescue Rangers now streaming on Disney+. And they even made a joke about uh, having Post Malone do a remake of the of the beloved theme song, which they use in the end credits. So uh, th- this movie was just full of self-referential humor, but not done in a way that's like, look how smart we are. It was like really, um, I think, witty, genuinely, and uh, also funny. And, and it had heart, like I said. It didn't just feel like it was them trying to show how smart they are. It was really done in service of the story and also just in service of the tone of this movie, which was very consistent all throughout, uh, which is a hard thing to pull off. So totally recommend you check out Chippendale Rescue Rangers streaming now on Disney+. Plus. Sometimes some crimes will slip in through the cracks, but these two gumshoes are picking up the slack. There's no case. 
Something else that just dropped in the last month that I want to 100% recommend you check out is uh, season four of Stranger Things, which we've been covering since, uh, you know, the first season on this show. I remember Andy and I doing a live, uh, our first live episode together, um, recorded that one in Cincinnati at the library, the public library in Cincinnati. And um, I remember talking about Stranger Things. That was after having watched the first season and it becoming a, this big runaway success. People were whispering about it, talking about it at work. And, you know, it was just one of those shows that really captured the imaginations of a lot of people. Um, and I've talked about my battles with that show kind of a lot over the years on the stream police saying that, you know, the way I realized that I needed to enjoy this show and what made me enjoy this show more was kind of letting my expectations go and kind of letting my, uh, hopes that it was going to be this like life changing drama, coherent drama, just let those go and enjoy it kind of as a celebration of great characters and great set pieces, which is what stranger things is all about. It's all about the style. The show oozes style. It always has. And I think that's really one of the things that makes it so good. Also, they just cast, they cast the shit out of it right from the start. And, and they give, they have such a big growing cast and they keep adding supporting characters that keep making the show better, which is so hard to do. Usually you get a show with a core cast um, and the core cast was already big in the first season and they could have left it at that. Just kept going back to the well with those same characters and not adding anyone really of note, but they keep adding characters, whether it be Bob or Murray or, um, you know, they add Sadie Sink's character. They add, um, Maya Hawke's character. They, this season add a couple even newer characters and all of them make the show better, make the show more interesting and become characters that I like as much as anyone who was there, if not more than anyone who was there on day one. So Stranger Things season four, uh, streaming now on Netflix. And I should say it is part one of season four. So I guess part two is coming out, uh, just in a couple weeks after this episode comes out. So it's going to be a pretty quick turnaround, but they oddly split it up into two parts. But this first part of the season does feel like an entire season. And I have to say, I think this is my favorite season of stranger things that they've done yet. I think as a story to me, it made the most sense it like didn't require so many mental gymnastics for me to follow along with. And I just flat out enjoyed it the most. Maybe that's because this season is a lot more focused on the horror elements of stranger things than the sci-fi elements. Whereas this show was always more of a sci-fi monster show. This season is more of a horror monster show and it is really legitimately scary a lot of times I found this season to be very creepy and not, I'm not just talking about the gore, but it is heavy on the gore and it's heavy on the violence. Um, as far as what the villain in this season does to kids. Um, and yeah, I mean, it sounds like a classic 80 slasher movie in that way. And that's really what it is. We've got this monster killing teenagers. Um, and, you know, a lot of red herring blame goes around as far as who's guilty of this. Uh, but of course, this being Stranger Things, it's all happening uh, behind the scenes. There's something happening in another dimension 
related to this small town of Hawkins in Indiana. And it's all being done by this creepy monster uh, who we come to find out, you know, what his origin story is as the season goes along. So I really just, I don't know. I just was hooked from minute one. Um, and I have found some of the other seasons of Stranger Things, especially seasons two and three, to take a little bit longer to get going. And then, you know, once it did get going, it's like I didn't care that much. And the only thing that I didn't really like so much about season four of Stranger Things, I wasn't so enamored with the storyline of Joyce and Murray going to uh, having to get to Russia somehow and rescue Hopper. That to me was just because Hopper, him not really dying did kind of take something away. I mean, I feel like, haven't we learned this lesson where when you kill a character, you got to kill him. I mean, I think it's just like, I don't, I didn't want to see Hopper go, but it, it just really robs the drama when, we have a character that, oh, we thought he was dead, but he wasn't. Uh, and that's what they do here. And that's one of the cardinal sins to me of television writing is faking us out on a character's death. Like, just kill the character. You know? I mean, we're not children. We can handle that. So uh, that whole storyline was just, okay, the the supporting character that they brought in who was the Russian guy who was working at the prison and, and kind of helping Hopper to get out was a, a good character, and I think he was a strong, again, addition to the cast, and I'd like to see kind of where they go with him and what happens with that character because he was one of the better parts of the season to me. But uh, other than that, I really liked everything they were doing with this season because they brought in the whole idea of satanic panic, which was something that was running rampant in the 1980s in American culture. And, uh, I mean, all you have to do is watch movies like Paradise Lost to see what the real cost of things like Satanic Panic was. And in this season, we you know, we've always known that the the kids in Stranger Things like to play Dungeons and Dragons and they're part of this club at school where they play Dungeons and Dragons. And it's called the Hellfire Club. And it gets construed as a satanic cult in this season. And of course this big witch hunt begins once bodies start piling up around Hawkins and the bodies are horrifying, you know, horrifyingly mangled. And so of course the, the scapegoat needs to be one of the kids who's in this dungeons and dragons club, which is construed as a cult because you know, I mean, back then it was legit like kids who wore like black shirts and were into metal bands um, were like, people thought they were Satan worshipers and it was just so insane. And, and kids really did go to jail for crimes that they did not commit because people thought they were doing sacrifices on children and things like that. So it was an insane time in the United States. And there have been movies done about this, but paradise lost to me is the best one. And it's actually a whole trilogy, but really, you know, you watch the first one and you kind of get the gist of it and it kind of turns your stomach enough and, and makes you, uh, maybe, you know, if you were around back then, remember this, but that was a, just a tiny bit before my time of really being cognizant of what was going on. But, uh, you know, I mean, I remember even growing up in the nineties and I hung out with a lot of kids, like we all listened to Metallica and, you know, I wore like a chain wallet for a couple of years and I hung out with a lot of kids that wore Iron Maiden shirts and shit and just, you know, totally like innocent, just kids who just liked this stuff because it was not colorful and because it was different. 
and you know painted their nails black and all that shit and they were like the nicest kids that you really could have been friends with um all loved their pet dogs and cats and stuff like that and uh and of course I remember hearing like people being worried about so and so being into Satan and that's satanic that's demonic um I mean I remember remember hearing some of that stuff from family members so just insane but so the things you hear at like the town meetings in the season of stranger things don't think that that's far off because just look into satanic panic of the 80s uh and that's really one of the big themes of this season so i, I thought that was really cool that they kind of brought that into this season because it did kind of bring it into the real world, some things that were going on then. But just the horror focus was very tightly done, and it makes me want to see the Duffer Brothers do a horror film because I I think they showed in this season that they really can scare you and scare you well because this was a frightening uh, season. The soundtrack was great, again. um, But what's outstanding about stranger things is the cast and the cast of characters specifically. I mean, I'm not saying that these are all the best actors that I've ever seen because there's definitely not, but the cast of characters, these are beloved characters at this point and they deserve to be They're They're so fun to hang out with. I mean, it's a group that you really would want to spend some time with and you believe that they legitimately are friends. I mean, you buy their chemistry all the way as pals. And I thought that they found an a lot of interesting ways to use what is really an unwieldy cast at this point. I mean, it's kind of getting out of hand how big the cast is um, because they split the cast up into groups for the season, which I thought was unique because we're used to seeing them being so tight knit and be so together, but they're spread out all across the country at this point because of the events of what happened in the third season. And what I think it's going to lead to is a great payoff when everyone finally does get together in the final parts of this season when those do finally come out in a couple of weeks here. But it was cool to to see how they used them all split apart. And I think it worked out well. And they've done that before. They've had Eleven especially be split off from the rest of the cast. It didn't work as well to me. But having the way they did it this time... Um, worked really well because we've seen them all work together you know countless times at this point so it was cool to see how they work separately and seeing different pairings of of characters working together especially like seeing um robin and seeing nancy kind of become friends i think was fun this season and it's always fun to see steve and dustin work together as well so that was cool and you know we got to see Murray and Joyce spend some time together and, you know, improve their friendship as well. So uh, it was, you know, it's fun to just like take different random. It's like you could take random pairings from this cast and throw them together and and see how we're going to use these two characters together this time. You know, how what's going to happen if we put like Dustin and Robin in a scene together? What would they say to each other? And I think that's almost what the writers did. And also like what's going to happen if Steve and. Nancy get you know back together like are back together in close close proximity at this point without Jonathan being there you know how's that going to work so there's a lot of different cool character moments that happen in this season and I think that's really what makes Stranger Things such a gem of a show and it's why we all love this show is because of the characters uh so but but really the person I want to point out is Sadie Sink because she is just a gem and I cannot wait to see what she's going to do 
outside of Stranger Things as her career continues to keep going because I think she is just proving constantly that she's the best actor in this series. Over and over again throughout the course of this season, she proves, and she did it last season too, that she is head and shoulders the best actor in this cast. Millie Bobby Brown's great, but Sadie Sink is really, she's she's a phenomenal actor, and you can see it over and over again in this season. She does things that I don't think other actors in this cast could even dream of doing uh, and gets you to feel things. And she really carries a lot of the weight of this season and does so, she does so really well. I would love to see her nominated for an Emmy uh, for what I think was just a great performance all throughout the season. It's it's like you're not even here anymore. It's it's like you're a ghost or something. Yeah, something must be wrong with me because I broke up with you. That's not what I meant. People just change, okay? But Stranger Things uh, season four Part one is now streaming for you on Netflix, and it's uh, it, it's phenomenal. So if you've been putting it off, like just you know, because it does, I have to be in a mood to watch Stranger Things for whatever reason. It's just kind of an undertaking. It feels like probably because it's just made to be binged, and this season's totally like that. You won't want to stop watching episodes. They just kind of link together. The hooks are real uh, here. They're very masterfully done. Um, but it's, it's totally worth your time, especially if you're more into horror than sci-fi. I think the season will grab you more than maybe some of the last, uh, the, some of the, uh, previous seasons of stranger things did, but it's still, it just remains, I think the best show on Netflix, the best show that Netflix has ever done because, uh, it's so much fun. It's just pure entertainment and it's got a great cast of characters. That's what it's all about here. And the town of Hawkins feels real at this point. We've explored a lot of different avenues of it, uh, and we continue to do so, especially getting into uh, the high school aspect and the high school sports aspect and you know the community, for better or worse, coming together, uh, in, in this case for worse, uh, to kind of bring down what they view as an evil in their community. And, of course, we know the evil is really under their community. So it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Stranger Things season four. Check it out right now on Netflix. You belong here with me. You're not really here. Oh, but I am Max. I am. All right, I'm going to throw things up to Cleveland, and we'll see uh, what Andy's been listening to. He's going to get nostalgic with you here for a minute and take you back to a a piece of technology that uh, I think has a, a near and dear place in a lot of our hearts out here in the audience. When I come back, I'm going to talk about the final season of NBC's blockbuster drama, This Is Us, which uh, just wrapped a few weeks ago. But... Until then, you got Andy Sedlak. So take it away, Andy. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ah, it is nice to be back. I had to sit out last month, and it really sucked. But uh, Clint did a nice job filling in, as he always does. And to to be honest, and I mean this, sometimes I I wonder if I should just sit out just to see which five songs he picks at the end of the segment. He he killed it last time. He always does. Anyway, my name is Andy Sedlak, and I oversee the music department around here. If you have a minute... To rate and review us, it would be appreciated. We have to compete with your Uncle John's Model Train podcast and Jeff's podcast about seashells. So a five-star review would help us out tremendously. Thank you for that. As I speak to you today, it is the end of an era. Yes, they say all good rides come to an end and a beloved locomotive is pulling into the station. The Apple iPod, once a fixture in our pockets and dorm rooms, is being put out to pasture. You've probably heard Apple ceased production of the iPod. And and I'll be honest, I, I didn't think much about it until Clint suggested it as a segment topic. I mean, I haven't used my iPod in years, but then I started thinking and reminiscing and wondering uh, what the device meant to us and whether it changed the way we actually listened to music, the way we interacted with music, and I think it did. The iPod debuted in 2001. Since then... 450 million products have been sold. That is called a success. The first generation iPod held about a thousand songs. A thousand songs. That was their main marketing pitch. iPod, a thousand songs in your pocket. The iPod hasn't generated much conversation in recent years. In fact, news of its demise is the most we've heard about it in some time. Well, if you're like most people, you probably didn't realize that Apple still sold a version of their iPod. The last remaining iPod, the iPod Touch, is being discontinued. Apple says its other devices have melded music into its functionality. So the iPhone, of course, the Apple Watch, iPad, and the HomePod Mini all duplicate the iPod's music streaming ability. So I, I want to know this. How many iPod models can you remember? Can, can, can you name them all? We'll give you a second. Boom, 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 boom. 
All right, here we go. This was the original iPod, the first music player to hold more than a thousand songs. Big deal at the time. It also featured that iconic click wheel. Then came the iPod Nano. It was smaller. It was in a range of colors. The iPod Touch, that was goodbye to the click wheel altogether. And that was Apple's first fully touchscreen music player. And who can forget the shuffle? That was my favorite. This little guy could hold hundreds of songs and it even had a clip on the back to use on the go during workouts and that sort of thing. The iPod started losing its luster around 2010. That wasn't just the year that I graduated from college. It was the first time Apple sold more iPhones than iPods. The writing was probably on the wall then. You might say to yourself, well, that makes sense. The iPhone could do everything that the iPod did, and it could do a lot more, and that's true. Although the way we remember the iPod might be precisely because of the things that it could not do. It was about music, in other words, and and nothing else. It's funny. Over the last couple of months, I have heard from a lot of iPod lovers. And the number one thing I hear from these people is that they love that this doesn't connect to the internet. They don't love the distractions of the iPhone when they're listening to their music. Who would have thought? My first iPod was the fifth generation iPod Classic. Came out in 2005. Back then, a new generation was was released about every year. My first iPod was a lemon. It froze. Froze like Lake Erie. I made so many trips to the Apple Store. It was a 40-minute a, a drive uh, to the Apple Store at Easton. And, th- and there I was, sitting at the, remember they called it the Genius Bar? Mr. Glum. I just wanted to load it up with jams. Was that too much to ask? And and yeah, it was. And and every time it froze, it zapped the battery. It was hell. And I wasn't the only one who was frustrated, by the way. A survey in 2005 found that iPods had a failure rate of about 13%. Pretty significant. But to be honest, I was hesitant about the iPod in other ways. You know, a hello to iPods was also a goodbye to CDs. And I'm not just talking about the discs themselves. It was a goodbye to cover art, booklets, lyric sheets. It was a goodbye to liner notes. And it meant, you know, saying goodbye to that little sense of discovery that was part of the experience when you bought an album. Yes, the music was there, and that was the most important thing. But but what about the supplemental features that, that came along with buying an album? I remember thinking it would probably be the end of that stuff. But you know what? It was convenient. And convenience wins. At the end of the day, I had my entire catalog with me. And that was power. I remember a friend telling me, you can have all of your music on something this big. And I was like, what? (laughs) Are you talking about? I I had other iPods after that first one. I actually really liked my iPod Touch. I remember I, I used to put friends CDs on it. You know, I dipped into my college radio station and, and, and pretty much uploaded their entire CD library. It was mass discovery. So it wasn't just that it held all of your music. It held all the music that you might be interested in as well. All the stuff you were just curious about and wanted to try out later. That was impossible with CDs. I put so much music on my iPods. We're talking about 10, 12,000 songs. Eventually, I, I 
ended up I cycled between two iPod touches. And I was sure I was building the best library ever. Well, well now that library rests on those iPods. They're in my basement. One of the screens is cracked. Uh, there's really no way to play them. They don't have Bluetooth. The software is out of date. Those speakers with the iPod docks, remember those? Those aren't sold in stores anymore. It's, it's really become extinct technology. And all of those hours and all of that music it just sits on those devices. Remnants of a past pursuit. And maybe I'll sell them. I wonder what they're going for on eBay. Huh. How much are iPods worth? Yeah. I mean, people are buying them on eBay. I did hear from readers this week that they are going on eBay and they they may be stockpiling iPods. So we may be seeing some increased prices on eBay, but I'm not seeing that yet right now. I'm okay. seeing some some good deals for iPods on eBay. And I can't believe I just said that sentence in 2022. It'll be worth more in the years ahead. And I'll be very delicate with this one. All right. Uh, let's switch gears and, and talk about some tunes. What is worth your time? What should you be paying attention to? Is there anything out there that you can really sink your teeth into? And yes, it's the latest from Kendrick Lamar. Whoa, yeah. Take off the fufu. Take off the cloud chase. Take off the Wi-Fi. Take off the money phone. Take off the car loan. Take off the flex and the white loss. Take off the weird ass jewelry. I'm going to take 10 steps. Then I'm taking off top five. Take off some fabricate streams and the microwave memes. It's a real world outside. Take off your idols. Take off the runway. Take off the Cairo. Take off the Sandro pay. Five days stay. Take off for the meal. Hella final. Take off the far flat. Take off perception. Take off the cop with the iPad. Take off the unload. Take off the unsure. Take off the decisions I had. Take off the fake deep. Take off the fake woke. Take off the I'm broke. I care. Take off the gossip. Take off the new logic. They're the farm rich. I'm real. Take off the shirt nail. Take off the doje. Take off the broken bag. Take all that designer bullshit off and what do you have. Kendrick Lamar's new album, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, is the latest release in a long, complex, and emotionally rich line of records from the Pulitzer winner. It's at odds with itself and its time. It's at odds with Kendrick Lamar's reputation in the press. It's at odds with family and loved ones, but 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 even if it's at odds with those things, it is still inextricably linked to them. He's not he's not bailing on those things. He's he's dug in and he's trying to make sense of them. Lyrically, Lamar is as complex and as dark as ever. No punches are pulled. He follows his muse uh, wherever it takes him. And and we're all the better for it. Musically, I've heard people describe this album as spare, and yes, in a technical sense, that's probably true. But it also implies that there's air in these tracks, and and there really isn't. Uh, There may not be many elements, but this is not trap music. The songs never sound anything less than full. 
One of these lives, I'ma make these right with the wrongs I done. That's when I unite with the father, son, till then I fight. Rain on me, put the blame on me. Got guilt, got hurt, got shame on me. Got six magazines that's aimed at me. Done every magazine was fame to me. It's a game to me with the bedroom at. Sleep, I ain't never had a fast with that. What's fair when the hearts and the words don't reach? What's fair when the money don't take things back? It's rare when somebody take your dreams back. I care too much, wanna share too much. In my head too much, I shut down too. I ain't there too much. I'm a complex soul, they layered me up, then broke me down. And morality's dust, I lack and trust this time around i trust myself please everybody else but myself all else fails i was myself outdone fear outdone myself this year you better won yourself this isn't a record that fully reveals itself the first time you listen to it too many nuances for that some of the best lines in fact are are, are subtle very very subtle uh but what you're going to get is a sense of weight the first time you listen to it. And I think that sense of weight will be enough to bring you back so that you can discover all of those little nuances. Kendrick Lamar's Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. If you're a, a hip-hop person, there's, there's no reason to look past this one. I'm a killer, he's a killer, she's a killer, bitch. We some killers walking zombies trying to scratch that itch. Germophobic, heteroin. I am not for the faint of heart. My genetic build can build multi-universes. The men of God playing baby shark with my daughter. Watching for sharks outside at the same time. Life is a protective father I kill for. My son Enoch is the part two. When I inspire my children to make higher valleys. In this present moment, I saw that through. Ask Whitney about my lust addiction. Text messaging, bitches got my thumbs hurt. Set president for a new sacrilegion. Writers black for two years, nothing moved me. Ask God to speak through me. That's what you hear now, the voice of yours truly Teleport out my home body for comfort I don't pass judgment, past life regressions Keep me in question, where did I come from? I don't think like I used to, no I don't blink like I used to Aqua stares at everybody, see the flesh of man But still this man compared to nobody Yesterday I prayed to the flowers and trees Gratification to the powers that be Synchronization with my energy chakras The ghost of Dr. Sebi, paid it for Cleaned out my toxins, bacteria heavy Sciatica nerve pinch, I don't know how All right, friends, we are building the most perfect playlist known to man. You can find it and enjoy it on Spotify by searching Stream Police. Every month, we add five more songs. This is a living document. Uh, First up this month, well, it's by Kendrick Lamar. It's called Rich Spirit. Frat brother, real nigga, that brother. We dress up the score, give me that brother. Spirit medium, my rap brother. We headed there now, are you strapped, brother? Hey, peacemaker, but I'm not naive, brother. Hey, gotta watch your homies and police, brother. Hey, cloud chasing, hell of a disease, brother. I'm fasting, four days out the week, brother. I pray to God that you realize the entourage is dead. I pray to God that you're not lagging when you off the meds. I pray to God she know them cobble chips don't last forever. Bitch, you argue with her mama, go and get them kids. I pray to God you actually pray when somebody dies. Thoughts and prayers. Second, no, we just lost him. This is Ronnie Hawkins, who spent most of his career just under the radar. Passed away May 29th at the age of 87. Nice run. This is a song called Ain't That Just Like a Woman. And I'd I'd love that boogie-woogie piano up front.
just like a woman? Ain't that just like a woman? Ain't that just like a woman? Every foot you put in, every time. You can buy a woman clothes, give her money on the side. No matter what you do, she ain't never satisfied. Ain't that just like a woman? Ain't that just like a woman? Okay, let's see. We've done hip hop. We've done rock and roll. Let's do country. This is uh, this is a good day to run by Daryl Worley. <laughs> Tired of working every day for a dollar About to choke on my own blue collar This ain't gonna last Misled by the grand illusion I've come to this conclusion I can't make a move too fast It was written in the sky today Next, Love Me Like a Reptile by Motorhead. It's, it's typical. This is a, it's a riff fest. And finally, I don't know why I've had this song in my head because I'm I'm not really a, a Joni Mitchell fan, but uh, but nevertheless, here it is. It's both sides now. Okay, that's it. 
Thanks so much. Great to be back in the seat with you. Everybody uh, be safe. Take care of yourselves. I'll see you. I'm always glad to get Andy's approval on uh, my picks for the five songs that uh, go on our playlist. Uh, But man, uh, he always surprises me with his picks as well. I don't know that Kendrick Lamar, Daryl Worley, and Motorhead have ever existed in the same playlist anywhere. Uh, But they exist now on the Stream Police podcast playlist. Again, check that out on Spotify. And then, of course, he, he tops it off with Both Sides Now, which... I mean, it's one of the great songs ever written. And uh, I, I'm surprised to hear, though, not a Joni Mitchell fan. It's uh, that, that shocks me because, again, such a phenomenal songwriter and such a seminal voice. Nobody with a voice like Joni Mitchell's. I mean, I get it. I, I think it could be an acquired taste, that voice, because it can kind of cut right through you. But, uh, man, she's one of those songwriters that has consistently just moved me over the years, and Both Sides Now is one of those tunes that I never, ever get tired of. I love that song. And the brilliant use of it in the ending credits of Hereditary just made it, you know, even, it just made that movie even better. It's one of my favorite movies ever, and and that kind of sent it over the top. And by the way, talking about iPods, I still have my iPod with the track wheel in a box in the basement. It was an iPod video model, 250 gigabytes, I think, 256 gigabytes or something, something really random. I still remember that because I always had to keep moving songs on and off of it to satisfy that data limit. Um, And I had like music videos on there that I would watch sometimes, but uh, that thing was a tank, man. I mean, it lasted years and years. I bet if I plugged it in right now and gave it a few hours, it would still turn on for me. It, uh, it, it, was, it never let me down. That thing was built Ford tough, for sure. So I have so many great memories with Andy of rolling around with that iPod and putting it on my five-star playlist and, and uh, just hitting shuffle and seeing what would come up. And, and, and it's, it's, it really did stand the test of time. That iPod made me love music in a way that nothing had before it. I mean, I really did enjoy making like mixed CDs back in the day and and even making mixed tapes too for a little while. I had a lot of fun doing that, but the iPod really uh, brought me closer to my music than I ever had been before. And I think it's really what gave me my love of deep tracks because I just had all these songs on there and I loved hitting shuffle and just seeing what would play. It was what an invention, man. What an invention. What a time to be alive. The iPod. You had to be kind of selective with your music, not as selective um, as you had to be when it was just mixed CDs, but you still had to be a little bit more selective than you do now where you just have the entire library of music streaming on Spotify and Apple Music at the at your fingertips. Back then, you had to be a little bit more choosy. All right, so since the last time we spoke, what I would consider a monumental era in television uh, came to an end, and that is the run of NBC's This Is Us, which honestly, I would call it a towering piece of pop culture history in the last few years, if only because it made broadcast drama something that snobby TV people like myself 
even spent some time watching and it kind of united the people who like NCIS and the people who prefer shows like The Wire and The Sopranos because there was something in This Is Us for everyone. And it was a very, you know, heartfelt and saccharine sweet at times, over the top, um, but also risky and experimental show with the way that it handled family drama. And its timeline, yes, totally hard to juggle and keep track of by the end of the show. Hell, I think by the third season of the show, it was very hard to keep track of. But you you never quite knew where you were in time with This Is Us. You were always at the mercy of the writers. And they were clever writers, man. This show, I think, will go down as one of those rare family dramas where the writing was uh, full of flourishes. It, they were showing off a little bit uh, in the writer's room. And I think uh, it, it was all in service of making this an engaging show. Now, I don't know how consistent, I don't know how good This Is Us would be if I went back and watched it again, because I have a feeling that a lot of things that would end up being made very clear in the show would not be so apparent in the first season, because I feel like they were kind of flying by the seat of their pants on this show. I don't get the feeling that it was all plotted out very painstakingly as far as everything these characters would go through from day one. So things that I think would be common knowledge about the characters at the end of the series, I don't know if necessarily they would be that way in the first season. So, you know, but that's that's one of those things that is hard to do. You know, it's hard to have a show really planned out that well because you never know how long a show is going to last, especially if it's going to be on network TV. You're always at the mercy of getting canceled constantly. But this is us turned into a juggernaut hit right out of the gate. It was the biggest show on television during its first season, people were hooked right away. And one of the main reasons is because it was cast to perfection. I talked about Stranger Things being a great show because of its cast of characters. This Is Us was a great show, not because of its cast of characters so much, but because of its cast of actors. I'm not going to say that these characters were my favorite characters. That like I, I don't necessarily want to spend time with the Pearson family, honestly. Um after getting to know them after all these years. I don't know that they're my cup of tea as far as I want to hang out with them. But the actors were so flawless, almost from top to bottom, that it is, it's uncanny because of how big this cast is and because of how much weight was put on um, the casting decisions that I just feel like they nailed them. But I'm talking about people like Milo Ventimiglia, who you had seen if you were like a Gilmore Girls fan, and you know if you listen to this show that I'm a Gilmore Girls fan. Milo Ventimiglia was very good on that show, but he was very good in such an aloof kind of dangerous way. Not the way, like he was so opposite from the character that he plays in This Is Us, Jack Pearson, this towering mythical father who is remembered by everyone in the family as like this god of domesticity, basically. Whether or not he was that, uh, he's like the father to end all television fathers. And Milo Ventimiglia is so warm and wise in this performance in a way that I would not have thought he was capable of being after just seeing him in Gilmore Girls, where he was just kind of a kind of a teenage asshole, really. Uh, but, you know, he did have a heart and uh, I don't think he was a bad guy, but he was just dangerous. And there was something always sexy about him. Clearly, 
Uh, but in This Is Us, he just pivoted into full-on like father of the century and ultimate romantic guy and all that stuff. And um, just really, again, a mythical character that I think uh, becomes a meditation on how we remember people who died too young is what the whole character of Jack Pearson is about. Because was he really like that or is that just how they remember him? And I think that's one of the key questions of This Is Us. But Sterling K. Brown, I mean, this guy becomes a household name because of his work in This Is Us, and it is phenomenal work. I mean, he's one of these actors who's able to pull a tear out of his eye at any given moment, just the right second. He always has one available. He always looks like he's on the verge of tears, and he he made all of us cry so many times. And his performance is so earnest, his character so heartfelt. Um, and again, I think that uh, Randall Pearson becomes one of those characters who you'll have to remember as one of, he truly is one of the great fathers in television history. This isn't just myth-making like it was with Jack. This is legitimate. We see it week in, week out. He really is that good of a guy and that good of a father and a husband and all that other stuff. So him like becoming this big runaway successful politician on the national level was a joke, I think. It was just silly that was one of the cases where I think the writers bit off a little bit more than they needed to. I mean, he didn't need to be that kind of a guy. He could have just been. It would have been miraculous enough to pivot from being this, whatever he was in business, to being a state politician or a city politician in Philadelphia, which is a major metropolitan area. Uh, to do that would have been totally like it would have been believable with with how charismatic he is and i think it would have been impressive enough he didn't need to then become like a united states senator and then we get hints that oh he's going to run for president he's got a chance that was just reaching and it was silly and it was unbelievable to me because you know i mean it it kind of writes off all the work and and all the grooming that goes into those kind of jobs uh, and it, it doesn't track with me with what I know about Randall that he would want to play all the games that are required uh, to get to that kind of a level of uh, of political clout. But regardless, what I'm here to say is that Sterling K. Brown turns in uh, a performance for the ages over the course of This Is Us because he is just so likable and... Um, just such a stand-up guy, but also somebody who we understand is flawed and is fighting demons at uh, every stage and always feels like he doesn't belong wherever he is because of the way his origin story unfolded as a child being left at a firehouse and then adopted by a family who had just lost a baby when they were supposed to have triplets. So uh, Sterling K. Brown, Milo Ventimiglia, Chrissy Metz, who again, carried so much dramatic heft on this show and uh, was just a character who got piled on constantly, emotionally, as the seasons went on and handled it with such strength. And I think she, again, so charismatic, such a um, natural, dramatic actor that I cannot wait to see what Chrissy Metz does from here on out because I can see some really great movie performances in her as well. I think she's got it in her even more than probably the other actors in the cast do. Justin Hartley, not my favorite 
member of the cast, probably just because Kevin was such a character that you just wanted to slap most of the time. But I think Justin Hartley did play it really well and was, again, a, a great piece of casting here because uh, his mannerisms, I mean, everything, it really did work. And I think this was a, this was probably the character that changed the most over the course of the series. Um, and I don't know if I bought all of it necessarily. Some of it felt a little convenient and easy, but I never really doubted Justin Hartley in that part. I think he he did great work all the way through uh, in selling me this as a guy who, you know, really does have his head up his own ass most of the time. And again, is somebody that you probably just want to slap and tell him how good he's got it. Uh, But I did buy him the entire way through for sure. Chris Sullivan, who played Toby, uh, I mean, he... I think the writers did him dirty by basically turning him into a villain out of nowhere after he was like the funniest, you know, one of the most charming guys in the entire show from the first season uh, going on this thing. And, uh, you know, then he loses a bunch of weight and he kind of becomes a dickhead, really. They they resurrected him a little bit in the final season, but, I mean, just to watch what his character, uh, Toby and, and Kate, Chrissy Metz's character, go through in the last season was not fun to watch. I mean, you're watching a marriage disintegrate. Uh, but it was the kind of uh, storytelling that um, kind of is needed on TV because these are things that happen, and it pulled no punches, and I give them credit for that. And Chris Sullivan and Chrissy Metz did a nice job of playing both of those parts throughout. And their love, I felt like, was real, and then their hate of each other felt very real as well, but he turned in a really nice supporting performance in becoming one of the most memorable characters in the entire show. And the show was full of them. And then John Huertas, I want to point him out as well as Miguel. He uh, maybe the unsung hero of the entire show. He uh, was great again from moment one. And I totally bought him in this role. I was disappointed that they, that they didn't give that character a real backstory episode until the final season until like four episodes to go or something. Uh, so I thought they kind of did him dirty dirty that way because this was a character that really would have had an interesting backstory if we had gotten into it a little bit more. But John Huerta's, regardless, played him with so much heart and uh, just was a, a great straight man to all of these kind of egomaniacs running around in the, in, uh, the family in This Is Us. But all those actors I mentioned... Phenomenal. But the two actors I want to really point out over the course of This Is Us who blew me away and in this final season, I think it was cemented that these were the two best characters on the show. Susan Kalichi Watson, who played Beth, and Mandy Moore, who played the family matriarch Rebecca, completely stole it. Mandy Moore especially became clearly the... Front runner for an Emmy, I think, with her work in this sixth season of This Is Us, because the work she does as young Rebecca versus old Rebecca, it's like two different characters a lot of times, and she plays them both so well. I mean, perfectly. I did. There wasn't a moment where Mandy Moore in this entire season, and she does a lot of heavy lifting in this season, where I thought she hit a bad note. So I think she's a shoe in for an Emmy. I would love to see her win one. I think she has definitely earned it uh she's proven she is a a very gifted actor standing toe-to-toe with who are a cast of clearly very gifted actors in this series and again doing a lot of dramatic heavy lifting in the final season as we come to realize that Rebecca really is the heart and soul of the Pearson family 
and she kind of deserved better at times. Um, and this season is really all about her and the way they sent her character off in the end. Beautifully written television, a very special episode of TV, that whole thing with the train, um, the the whole metaphor, the uh, her and William, you know, going car to car, talking with the people that have been important in her life, hearing the voices of her loved ones over the loudspeaker. I mean, that was the kind of television that if it didn't break you down, then I think you might want to go check your pulse because... It was beautiful. It was so well done, and it was a culmination of a lot of things coming over six years of, uh, you know, shaky work at times on this show, but mostly highs. There weren't a whole lot of times where I didn't enjoy sitting down to watch This Is Us. But again, Susan Kaliti Watson also, give her so much credit. I want to see her in so many things. Beth was by far the best, my favorite character on the whole show. She always had the best lines. And Watson delivered them with just perfect, just perfect tone every single time. And she had so much attitude and and so much heart. Also, just a great mom, again, a great wife and a great character all the way through. I could not get enough of Beth. I just want to see a spinoff with her because I was so sad to see her go. It's like this is the last time I want to see Beth Pearson on This Is Us. This is sad. She's like my favorite TV character of the last 10 years. So much of being a mom is about faking it, isn't it? We don't know what the hell we're doing. Not when they're young. Not when they're older. So we fake it. We imitate what we think a mom should be. Not a good mom. But, uh, we were complicated. I just want to say, all these years, so many times when I was faking it, I was doing my best impression of you, Rebecca. I'll take him the rest of the way, Mama. But the casting in This Is Us is what made it a great show. The writing was dazzling at times, almost too fancy at other times. They got a little bit too cute uh, over the years and, and, and lost themselves in some places. But it was an exciting watch in a way that family dramas usually are not. Uh, and that's what I really like about This Is Us. It took a lot of chances, and um, it, it took us a lot of different places in the course of its its run on, the sh- uh, on NBC. And I feel like it ended with kind of a, a whimper as far as the the marketing and as far as the talk about it goes, the buzz, but the way the writing was done, the finale was very well done, and the penultimate episode especially was very, very well done. Uh, so I was impressed, and I was sad to see This Is Us go. I mean, because this was a, a, the Pearson family have been really, I've enjoyed sitting down watching them. It's been one of the shows that Beth and I have watched since day one. Uh, together. And, you know, when you have a show like that that you watch with somebody on a weekly basis, uh, it's it makes it sad to see it go, especially when you watch it in real time. So I've been watching this thing since 2016, and uh, now it's going to be living for you on Hulu where you can stream uh, This Is Us. 
in its entirety, I believe, I know you can stream the final season there. And if you have been waiting to watch it, go ahead and check it out because I think the show really did end with a bang. If you felt like it kind of sagged a little bit in the last couple seasons, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with you. But in the final season, I think it found itself again and came back to why this was a show that really captured so many of us uh, when it debuted back in 2016. So shout out to this whole cast, but really to Mandy Moore. I want to see her win an Emmy for her work on this. Is I'm telling you, Mandy Moore and Sadie Sink. Just uh, I want to see like I don't want to see them going head to head. I would imagine Sadie Sink would be like a supporting actor. So I want to see them in separate categories, and I want to see them both win for their work in Stranger Things and uh, This Is Us, respectively. But uh, the final season of This Is Us now streaming for you on Hulu. And uh, it went out with a bang, man. I'm sad to see this show go, but I was glad to see it go on a high note because I think it deserved it and these actors deserved it after all this time. Also, kudos for them for keeping the cast together through this entire run, even the supporting cast, because... It was fun to watch these people work on a weekly basis. And I think a lot of the success of this show comes down to shorter seasons. They weren't being pushed to do 24, 28 episodes a season. They were able to do shorter seasons, less episodes. Uh, And sometimes that sucks for the viewers. But I think in the end, it's great for the viewers because you get better TV and you get a cast that stays together and enjoys actually working together. And it doesn't feel like such a slog. But uh, farewell to the Pearson family and farewell to This Is Us. Thanks for the memories. I will make a decision about what's best for mom because she trusted me to do it. But first, you two have got to be able to look at her. What are you talking about? We look at her all the time. No, you don't, Randall. And I get it. I get it because mom was magnificent. And to see her like this is really brutal. But how can we even talk about her moving into your house when you can't even look her in the eye? And Kev, you're touching her less and less. Come with me. Let's go. Wash, wash, wash. Scrub, scrub, scrub. Mommy's got you. Mommy's got you. Here, brush your hair. Just be gentle around the tangles. I have daughters. Know how to brush. Okay. Here we go, Mom. Okay, the best thing I watched this month, that's something I always like to tell you about at the end of every episode, and I already mentioned it up at the top of the show. It was... Vera Drake, the Mike Lee movie. I went back and and I hadn't seen it in years and watched Vera Drake again for whatever reason. It was just totally kind of random. I was like, man, I want to watch Vera Drake again. I've been thinking about that movie. And uh, it was better than I even remembered it. And I think, again, with Roe v. Wade being overturned and just this, just what we're living in right now, um, this is a movie that becomes even more essential. So give Vera Drake a watch. It is streaming now for you on Hoopla. Totally free to watch there uh, without ads, by the way. I think you I think you do need a library card to watch Hoopla. But uh, go get a library card anyway if you don't have one. It's uh, You're missing out on so many 
not just streaming things on Canopy and on Hoopla. Canopy has a phenomenal library of things to watch online for free if you have a library card linked to it. Uh, but all the movies that are right there at your library as well that otherwise you might not be able to find all those Criterion Collection movies. The library usually has them all, and they're expensive as shit to buy. And a lot of times they're movies that you don't necessarily want to watch multiple times. So check them out there. If you don't have a library card, you're missing out on the easiest way to watch a wealth of some of the greatest movies ever made totally for free. So there's your PSA for the month. Check out Vera Drake also. All right. Movies now streaming. Let me run these down for you here real quick. And I did want to mention uh, that I am on letterboxd now as well, because we had a, we had a request from one of our listeners, Matt, who uh, asked if there was any way maybe I could start up a letterboxd and, and start making lists of the movies every month that I recommend uh, on the episodes. And I am going to do that uh, on Letterboxd. So you can follow me there at Mr. Clint Davis, Mr. Clint Davis, and uh, check me out. I got a picture of Hermie the Elf and uh, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, in case you're wondering, those are my. Uh, squad goals, by the way, always those two. And uh, I will put these movies that I'm recommending for you now uh, on that list as well. So on Netflix, something light for you to watch. You know, this one's going out to my boy, Andy Sedlak. It's one of his all-time favorites. One of the most quotable movies ever made. Dumb and Dumber with the great Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels. If you've never seen it, I don't really understand how. And if you have, watch it again because it's... Uh, just as funny as it's ever been, and it's it's equal parts brilliant and completely stupid, and that's why it works at the end of the day. But again, the quotes come at you a million miles per hour. I've got a t-shirt that says, we got no food, we got no jobs, and our pets' heads are falling off. So that's how deep I roll with Dumb and Dumber. Something dark for you on Netflix as well is the movie Raw, which I wanted to bring up for you. This is a French, you know, I might lose some of you on this, French art house horror drama movie directed by Julia DeCerno. And she has quickly become one of my favorite actors. I watch or directors. I'm sorry. I watched uh, two of her movies in the last month. I watched Titan and I watched raw and was blown away by both of them. I probably like Titan a little bit more, but raw is great. And I think it's a good entry point for, for her work. But what it's about is a, it, it's it's basically the college experience movie, the classic college experience movie, flipped completely on its head. It's about a a, a girl who goes off to veterinary school in France, and uh, she's French herself, but she goes off to school, and while she's getting rushed in the first week, uh, she's a vegetarian, grown up a vegetarian her whole life. They force her to eat uh, raw pieces of uh, of uh, an animal, and uh, it, despite her protests. And she ends up, you know, developing this craving for flesh of all kinds after that, whether it be eating raw meat or eating human meat and human blood, uh, that all happens in the course of raw. So what is she going to do with this craving for human flesh that she has? And it is done not in a silly way whatsoever. It's done very well and it's very smartly written and it's a just a takedown of like peer pressure and toxic cultures that happen in some college, uh, you know, settings and especially in like fraternity sorority settings and stuff like that. So it's a, you know, about finding yourself and all that, but it's a phenomenal movie. So well done. Great soundtrack too. 
Uh, it's called Raw, and it is streaming now on Netflix, but it is in French, so if that turns you off, then just be warned. Let's go to Prime Video, streaming now on Prime Video, something light from 2015. It is Grandma. This was a total hidden gem from that year. I mean, it got a little bit of buzz, but a lot of people aren't talking about it anymore, but it's so funny. It's It stars, it's a great cast, Julia Garner, who, whom everyone loves, Lily Tomlin, and Judy Greer top line this thing and really it's the interplay between Julia Garner and Lily Tomlin who play the grandma granddaughter combination uh, that is just makes this movie float the whole way through and it's just a fun funny well-acted movie all the way through check that out streaming now on Prime Video that's a, that's that's funnier so I'm putting it in the light category something dark something not funny whatsoever is Darren Aronofsky's Black Swan, which is also on Prime Video. That's one of the grimmest movies ever made. There's not any kind of laughs, enjoyment of any kind in this, even though it's about the arts. Um, it's just a brutal, terrifying, uh, but also oddly sexual movie as well. And I think, uh, you know, Natalie Portman and Mila Kunis just going toe to toe in this thing. Uh, it's kind of an unforgettable movie. I remember seeing it in theaters, and I'm glad I did because it's one of those. Like I said, just kind of one-of-a-kind films that that really did make a dent in pop culture despite being such a, a kind of highbrow movie. But it, it's not it's not one of those that's that's going to frustrate you. I think, you know, you can get it, and it's totally worth your time because, it, again, it's just an acting powerhouse. Black Swan, streaming now on Prime Video. Uh, on Hulu, something light for you. I mean, it doesn't get a whole lot lighter than this. Weekend at Bernie's. The weirdest elevator pitch ever. Two guys uh, who work together go to uh, their boss's house, uh, beach house for a weekend. They, when they get there, they find him dead. Okay, he's been murdered. And they pretend that he's alive because, hey, they're here at the beach and they want to have a party and they don't want their time to be ruined. So they're going to pretend he's alive so that they can still carry on with everything that's happening uh, just like it's going on, and so many hijinks happen. They drag his body all over town, and they're like putting clothes on on him, and you know, hoisting, holding him up on their shoulders, pretending he's drunk. All that shit. It's so stupid. I used to love this movie when I was a kid. I thought it was hilarious, but now I kind of find it horrifying. Uh, but again, that's just a great slice of eighty cinema that I don't think could have come out of any other era. Weekend at Bernie's now on Hulu. Doesn't get a whole lot lighter than that. Something dark for you on Hulu. Die Hard with a Vengeance. And this one is dark. This kind of took the Die Hard series into a more darker, grittier uh, direction. And uh, maybe it's you know because the action moved to the streets in New York. And maybe it's because Samuel L. Jackson was introduced into the cast. And they brought in elements of racism. Uh, or maybe it's just because Jeremy Irons plays the villain, but this one is intense. It's my favorite of the Die Hard movies, and in honor of Bruce Willis and his retirement from acting, it's one of my favorite performances of his. Check it out, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Wait, 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 wait. Hey, who's the 21st president? Don't fuck yourself! That guy was pissed. Hey, it's Chester A. Arthur. Uh, something light for you on HBO Max is uh, Paris is Burning. This is, uh, not, I mean, not necessarily like light, the lightest fare, but it is a fun watch. It's a documentary um, kind of, you know, about the drag 
culture of New York City in the late 1980s, early 1990s, um, with an especial, especially a focus on people of color, uh, and they hold these elaborate balls. And this is kind of about the whole culture of what they're doing in the intersections of fashion, hip hop, uh, other types of music, um, you know, visual performance art, and uh, just being drag queens, basically. Uh, and Paris is Burning was, you know, widely seen as a groundbreaking movie when it came out because a lot of people had no idea about this entire culture uh, and had only seen kind of drag culture viewed through the lens of it being silly or, you know, a joke or something to be made fun of or whatever. But Paris is Burning put it in an entirely different lens. And it's a, a great movie, especially, you know, for Pride Month wrapping up here. Uh, because it, it did uh, really open a lot of people's eyes. And it's just a cool movie anytime. It's a well-made documentary, and who doesn't enjoy something like that? Especially a well-made documentary that does not involve someone being murdered. Uh, I'm always up for that. So check out Paris is Burning, uh, an early 90s gem streaming now on HBO Max. And finally on HBO Max, something dark, 2018's A Star is Born. If you missed this one when it was out, it garnered tons of Oscar buzz and deservedly so is be really because of the performances at the top from Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper, who uh, became one of the steamiest couples I can remember uh, in a movie in a long time. Really big time, kind of big star making acting uh, like the old time movies. And, uh, you know, just the heat was coming off the screen and the performances, the musical performances are great. The story just never gets old. That's why they keep remaking A Star is Born every 20 years or so, because it's so relentlessly grim, but still so relevant. Uh, and it has so much to say about fame and the entertainment business and all that stuff. So uh, it's a it's a really strong remake and a, a really well done film. Um, A Star is Born from 2018, streaming now on HBO Max. If you missed it the first time, go ahead and check that one out. You will not regret it. All right, that's going to do it for another edition of the Stream Police Podcast. As always, appreciate you coming around, hanging out with us here, my friend. You can again find me on YouTube at Overdue Review, on Instagram and TikTok at Mr. Clint Davis, and on Letterboxd also at Mr. Clint Davis. You'll see my movie reviews there as I watch things. I always post a review. And Andy is on Instagram at Andy Sedlak. You can also email him at sedlakjournal at gmail.com and you can email me at theclintdavis at gmail.com. Always welcome your comments, my friend. I'll chat with you again in a few weeks here on the Stream Police Podcast. Until then, stream on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.